James chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. The title of this message is Teaching the Truth. Teaching the Truth. There's a man well known within these scriptures who once asked the Lord Jesus one of the most profound questions that any man could ask. He asked Jesus, what is truth? What is truth? Unfortunately, as we know from reading about the man and the circumstance taking place at the time he asked that question, he wasn't actually desiring to know real truth His question seemed more a sigh of resignation than of interest. And that man was Pontius Pilate. Shortly after he asked that question, he then crucified the very essence of truth itself, the Lord Jesus. Now as we again think through this matter of being a teacher, and especially the stern warnings given to us here about the nature of, and the inclination of our tongues to at any moment go astray and foolishly debate about words that may or may not be God's intended meaning and application for them, may we focus on this one word, truth. Truth. Thinking again about Pontius Pilate, we know very little about the man only about his role in the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus. Perhaps Pilate had done what many of us do today, and that was he might have participated with Roman philosophers of his day about this question of truth. We don't know. I mention that because from the very earliest recordings of history, men calling themselves philosophers have engaged in these intellectual pursuits, intellectual discussions and debates about important matters in their culture, religion and politics, and right at the top of their list of what they would discuss is this word truth. And that pursuit of understanding that word has continued even until today. But there's a subtle fallacy within most all of those pursuits that even the most brilliant of philosophers seem to miss out on. And that is, the word truth is more than simply one of those many debatable issues within the minds of men. Its meaning and its impact reaches to a whole other level than those of religion and politics and finance and other debatable matters. And that's probably the reason why there's been no real agreement about the meaning of truth. I recall back in the 1950s and 60s, the American culture was changing. It was adopting a whole new freedom of thinking. And I can recall the studying of philosophers like Kierkegaard and Nietzsche and Sartre and other philosophers like them. And they actually captured the hearts of the young people of that day, especially the college students. And they studied topics like existentialism 
Now you may not have done much study on that word, but it's had a huge impact on us today. But it was also during those days that this belief that the meaning of truth could now be relative, that it was not absolute. What is true for you may not be true for me, and what is true for me may not be true for you, and we ought to respect one another. And then the misguided conclusion that came from that kind of belief system was that then each and every person had to find their own personal, individual pathway to truth. And may I say to you, having lived the generation since then, I can see where those beliefs have had a ruinous impact on the people and the society, especially here in America. All of that served to define and redefine even the most basics of our core values and our intellectual thoughts. And while we today may not want to think that we have been affected by all those philosophical influences, may I say to us that the hearts and souls and minds of most all of us, especially those who teach and preach today, have been influenced and to some degree well-trained by so much of those changes within our core values and intellectual thoughts. And whether we want to think we are doing it or not, we are including some of that within everything we teach and everything we preach. Now I say that as a precursor to our further consideration of this warning here that not many of us should be teachers. Specifically about our understanding and our teaching of these words of truth that are given here in these scriptures. Now, reminder, this particular warning from God is not being given to unbelievers. We might want to think that, that God is warning us about these people who will worm their way into our churches and they'll bring false teaching and doctrines in. Yes, you have that kind of thing, but this particular instruction for us has to do with preachers and teachers within the church who preach and teach at a, as a regular involvement. Now yes, as we said in an earlier message, every one of us in a church will at one point or another be called on to teach and to preach this gospel because we all are commanded to go ye into all the world and preach this gospel. But this warning here is especially being addressed to us who have a more regular involvement in teaching and preaching these truths of God. And may I add, this warning is even to those of us who would earnestly desire to preach and to teach only, only the pure and holy truth, exactly as God has given it to us. So why is this warning then that not many should be teachers? Why is this necessary? The reason is, and unfortunately so, all we have to do is listen carefully to the theology and doctrines that most of the earnest, devout teachers and preachers in our churches are giving. And we will find such widely differing versions of this truth being poured forth from every pulpit, from every Sunday school class. And then we can clearly understand why God would give this warning that not many of us should be teachers. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about the fact that 
within just a mile or so of here, there are just several churches all around us here. And within each of these churches, there are solid Bible-believing Christians. And we each teach and preach our doctrine. And they are widely different from one another. They're Baptists, and we're Presbyterian, Methodists, and Pentecostal, and probably others within a mile of here. Each preacher and teacher absolutely believing that they are preaching and teaching absolute truth. Devout men giving forth what they believe is absolute truth, but yet widely varying between the churches. And how has each church gotten to where it stands today? It comes from this word that we're studying. It comes from teaching. So right now, right at this moment, there are teachers and preachers just like me standing before their congregations teaching and preaching differing versions of what we believe this Bible reveals as truth. And I have to say to you, that makes me want to cry out to God, what is the real truth? What is the real truth? What do you want me to teach and to preach to these dear ones here in this church? Now, may I pause for a moment and give us some of those more obvious differences that are taking place in the teaching. And I realize that y'all know a lot of these differences already, but let me verbalize them for us for a moment. We as Presbyterians are generally known by and were defined by this word reformed. Reformed. Meaning that we subscribe strongly to the beliefs that God is totally sovereign and that He is providential. He sticks His hand into time and into our lives and He actually causes things to take place. Coordination, where He plans them ahead of time and carries them out. Predestination. And we also wear this tag of Calvinists. Calvinists. Now our Methodist friends, they generally subscribe strongly to beliefs in those that are outlined in the Arminian doctrines. Jacobus Arminius. Doctrines such as those that define this free will path to salvation and to atonement and to the provisions of grace. Now those doctrines are very similar to ours, but they are also very different. And they differ from what our Baptist friends would teach and preach. Our Baptist brethren, again, their doctrine very similar to ours, but different. And they also emphasize strongly of utmost importance the free will of each person, especially as it relates to salvation. And then as an offshoot of the Methodists are our brethren in the Charismatic and Pentecostal churches. They follow most of the Arminian doctrine that the Methodists believe, but our Charismatic friends, as you know, emphasize certain spiritual gifts. Some of them more than others. But in particular, speaking in tongues and prophesying. And again, yes, each of those church groups, they have solid, born-again Christians worshiping within them. And the doctrines that we each teach and preach are based on these scriptures. But that leaves a question that you and I must ask. 
How is it possible for each denomination to use the very same Bible as our resource and yet arrive at such wide-ranging variations in our beliefs? How is it possible? And then that question brings us back to the warning that the Lord is giving here that not many should be teachers. Because the reason that our churches do differ widely in our doctrines and theology is that it has come through teachers. Teachers, generation after generation of teachers and preachers, each applying their particular slant of understanding to these scriptures. And each generation of teachers carefully honing down particular points of doctrine, but points that do separate all of us further and further. And we continue to do that today. Preachers and teachers, just like me, contribute to this problem by adding our comments to a particular portion of Scripture, all of which then will continue to divide. Even within our own churches, preachers today somewhere in this country are preaching with a slant on their doctrines that will cause people to get up out of their pews and go and start a whole other church. And it all comes from this one thing that God is warning us about, and that's teaching. That not many, not many should be teachers. So what are we to do with that warning? Now obviously from all that we've said thus far, this dilemma is not an easy one to reconcile. If each teacher, consider this, if each teacher and preacher within all of these many denominations and churches is faithfully reading and studying their Bible and faithfully pleading with the Holy Spirit to give them absolute truth to then bring and preach and teach to their congregations, but then that teaching and preaching still has widely varying theology and doctrines from one another, how are we ever going to find this cornerstone of truth, this center line of truth that these scriptures really do reveal? Because they only say one thing. They do not say all of these variations. They say one thing. What are we going to do with that? Well, may I just say to you that I don't know what they're going to do with it all of these other churches and all the denominations throughout our nation. I don't know how they're going to begin to realize they've got a problem and begin to deal with it with the Lord. I only know myself. And even then, not very well. But I do know me best. And so I'll address this dilemma from my own personal limited perspective as it has to do with our church. And the question that I usually ask myself, and I am now, how do I get from where I am, in this case as a teacher and a preacher, to where I really need to be so that you all receive real truth and not my version of it? How do I get from where I am to where I need to be? How can I get to the point where I'm teaching and preaching real truth, exactly as it's given in these scriptures. Well, first of all, I know that I need to be firmly committed 
to the understanding that there is only one real truth. The philosophy that we spoke about a moment ago that what might be true for you might not be true for me and what might be true for me might not be true for you. That is absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. Nothing good in it. And it is irreconcilable with real truth. Real truth is unique. And it is absolute. And it is given to us from only one source. And that source is from the pages of this Bible. Nowhere else. Nowhere else. That's my commitment. And then further, that every time that I reach outside of these Scriptures to pull in other materials to support this truth, I've got to know that corruption can at that point and very often does take place. We experienced that in our in Sunday school last week. When we reach to extra biblical sources, history, and even some of the best commentators, we have to examine all of that. Do we need to bring some secular source in to validate this perfect Word of God? God does not need others to validate Him. It's as simple as that. Now yes, other commentators can help us. So I'm not saying that we should not read commentators and and listen to other preachers. But we have to understand that the moment we go outside of these Scriptures, we start to expose ourselves. And as for me, I'll know that I'll do that. And so I've got to be careful. And so that's my commitment. Another thing, I need to always remain committed to the understanding that these words of this book are simply a revelation of the only real truth that's in existence. And that real truth is the very person of Jesus Christ. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth. He says, I am truth. He didn't say, I will give you the truth. Now, He does that. But He said, I am truth. I am truth itself. He also said, as to these words being truth, in John 1 we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. And then in verse 14 of John 1, he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of glory, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, you and I will at best struggle to comprehend that kind of a mysterious concept. That Jesus, the very person of Jesus Himself, is the Word of God. But He is. Just because we can't comprehend that concept. He is the Word, and these words reveal Him to us. And He Himself is truth manifested. But then, how can I, a weak and corrupt soul, ever get into a condition where I'm able to receive this real truth exactly as it's given and then pass it along to you uncorrupted, unblemished by my own personality. 
And again, may I admit to you, I don't know. I really don't know. And the realization that I really don't know sparks great fear within my heart because the warning is to me. Not many should be teachers. And so, if I'm going to continue in this, my only avenue of hope is that as I study and as I prepare and give these messages is that I will in each of those moments just fully surrender my heart, my soul, my mind to this person of the Holy Spirit. He's been given to me for that purpose to guide and direct my thoughts. And according to the instruction that the Apostle Paul gave to Timothy, I must then accurately handle all that I'm reading. I must ever and always teach and preach the whole counsel of God, leaving nothing out, adding nothing to it, especially those two things. You can teach by adding things to these Scriptures. You can teach corrupt doctrines. You can teach variations by adding to these Scriptures. But you can also teach by leaving things out. I must teach the whole counsel of God. And I must not be concerned as to whether or not this truth offends you all or not or hurts your feelings. A first concern is I must be diligent with fervor faithfully teach and preach these truths exactly as they're given in Scripture. Now one last thought. I must ask you, my friends, to always carefully consider what I'm saying. Checking it back to the Scriptures. And if the Holy Spirit at any time gives you cause to question anything that I'm saying, you must love me enough to come to me about it. That's your responsibility. I want you to do it. I need all the help that I can get. So let me close with these words from 2 Timothy again. Be diligent to present yourself approved of God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed but accurately handling the word of truth. Avoid worldly and empty chatter. All those things that we want to bring in to validate what we're saying. Avoid those, that worldly and empty chatter for it will lead to further ungodliness. Let me pray.